You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, actually, all these things that we're going to examine is going to impact everyone. This is not just speaking to wives. It's not just speaking to husbands. This is speaking to all believers. So we want to understand that God has a divine order. And within that order, there's harmony and unity within the body of Christ as well as within the family nucleus. So let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your provision of your word and also, Father, most of all, the provision of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this morning that by the work of your Spirit, we would have understanding of your truths regarding the order that you've given us in this life as your children. So we just give you praise this morning and ask that you would guide us and direct us and that there would be clarity, not only for understanding, but for application of these truths in every relationship that we have in this life. We just give you thanks now and pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's look at the text. In chapter 3. I just want to back up uh, to <clears throat> when the Lord was addressing Adam in verse 12. And as we do this, I want to understand that we've already looked at this to some degree as we concluded last week. I just want to bring out some of the highlights of the impact of what happened at the fall and the result. Of the fall. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave of the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we looked at that last week, and we understand the first aspect of the fall was what? What did man do when God confronted him with their sin, their disobedience? First, they hid. But then when God directly asked them what they had done, I think I'm going to go ahead and turn this off. What was the response? Are they second enough? Are you warm enough, everybody? Yeah. Okay. You can always switch sides if you get... Okay. So what was the... Okay. Blaming somebody else for their sin. It wasn't my fault. It was the woman you gave me. It wasn't my fault, Lord, because that was the serpent that tempted me. So the first... There's seats right up here, Mark. The first uh, response of man when he sins and 
that brokenness of fellowship between he and God and the woman and God caused him to cast blame on the other. They would not accept responsibility for their sin. Do you ever see that in little children? Yeah. Not not yours, though. Did you say not mine? Or, oh. I've never had that problem. We all have that problem. We always try to either negotiate out of our problems, or we try to justify our sin, or we start looking in what direction we can point the finger to put the blame on somebody else. I have somebody snickering up here. Um, I hope you're not thinking about an incident that I might have done. I swore him to secrecy before he came here. So that was the first thing. Man would not take responsibility for his own sin. The second thing uh, was this, that man was alienated from God at that point. Because before that, they were in perfect communion with God. And as a result of sin, man has become at enmity with God. So we have to understand that right up front. But what do we have as a result of that? Let's drop down to verse 15. Said this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his feet. Now that was the first prophecy of Christ. It's not real clear, and perhaps even when Moses penned this, he didn't understand the fullness of this proclamation. This was the promise of the Redeemer. So think about this. Here is God, who's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. And after Adam's sins, there's seats up here, up in front. I would prefer to have you right up here. (laughs) So we have Adam... Immediately after he sins, we have him trying to what? Hide from God, who's ever-present, omnipresent, and he's omniscient. So God did not have to inquire for understanding of what he had done. He already knew. But here, we have God showing his grace to Adam and to Eve by asking him, what did you do? Now, they could have what? They could have said, we disobeyed you, God. We deserve whatever punishment you have for us. That would have been humility, which would have brought repentance, and which would have brought what? God's forgiveness. Instead, they lied, they deceived, they tried to deceive again, and then they tried to cast blame on someone else. So we have God's grace shown right at the immediate fall of man, right at the very beginning. His grace in trying to draw them to a place of honesty and open repentance and humility. Um, And then, 
Secondly, we have the great promise of the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God is showing his grace and mercy immediately to man. So, this should give us a picture of who our God is. Not only is he all-knowing, not only is he all-powerful, and not only is he holy and perfect and just, but he's all-merciful. And it's because of that mercy, he then prophesies about the Redeemer that he's going to bring forth. Yes, Thomas. Yeah. Okay, well, it's by reading it, I would not have been able to ascertain that. Okay. What we have, however, is if we look at the verse, he's speaking to the woman, or, I mean, to Satan. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. So, we're looking there, and this is, uh, that's why it said it was veiled, and probably Moses didn't understand it, and many throughout Old Testament history did not understand it. But as we think about it, the seed is Christ, of course, coming out of the woman. And that's when we transfer over to 1 Timothy 2, uh, we see the whole aspect of the woman being tempted and deceived and the role and the function of the man. So there's, it's a hard thing to understand. So I can't, we have the benefit of the New Testament because that revelation and the same thing with all the prophecies. When we go to look at uh, eschatology, we have the New Testament. And when we study the Old Testament, we look at that in light of the New Testament. So that's a very good question, and I won't be able to answer that here, but that's what we have. We have it in light of, in retrospect, of what Christ has revealed in the New Testament. Rob? Yeah. Um, when you talked about Satan, You know, I don't know. Um I don't know whether those that he deceived or was the following that he had, the demons, the fallen angels, because when uh, when Lucifer fell, being one of the most prominent and beautiful angels, and he rebelled against God, he took a third of the angels with him. So that may be in reference to his seed. His He doesn't procreate. Could be, yeah, or those who are followers, because when we think of New Testament references to the unbeliever, uh, Christ would refer to them as their father, the devil. So everyone who rejects Christ is under the leading and following of the devil. So his seed, that could be very well what it means. I haven't studied that, so I couldn't give you an appropriate answer. Okay, let's move on. So we have immediately the picture of God's mercy 
his redemptive plan, and then the condition of man's heart. As we think of the curse that was placed on mankind, let's look at some of the effects of that. Um, Starting with verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. So part of the results and consequence of the fall is women bearing children and having pain during childbirth. So that was a consequence of the fall. So we go on and this we're going to come back to. But in the second part of verse 16, it says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Um, well, let's go on because I want to come back and spend a little time with that. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So apparently this is the first time that was a real effort for man to bring forth his sustenance. Because God created the earth perfectly. Everything was provided. Nothing, there was no sweat of the brow, there was no hardship. Yes. That's a good point. I don't think I could debate that one. I'd rather have the weeds. (laughs) Okay. Good point. I'm not going to be able to defend some of these things. So we have, as a result of the fall, that women will have their sorrow multiplied in conception. And then the Lord makes this statement. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Do you ever think about that statement? Many have thought, well, that shows that the wife is really going to be desirable of her husband. Does that make sense? Nobody's answering, so. Desire. The woman is going to desire her husband. Is that self-explanatory, or do we need to go back to the etymology of that word desire? I think we need to examine the word desire, because what that, in essence, does determines the meaning in its context. Because God was not telling the woman she would have a desire for a husband, that is a, a loving desire to be with him, a desire to love him. That desire was the word we have over in chapter 4, verse 6. And let's look at it. Same word in Hebrew. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well. Sin lies at the door. And here's the word. Its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. The word desire there in Hebrew 
It has the meaning to compel, to urge, or here's the essence of the word, to seek control over. So the woman's desire after the fall brought a complete reversal of the role of man and woman. That is, after the fall, a woman in their natural behavior out from under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, will desire to control her husband, to rule over him. No, I agree. I agree. But I have something else to add to that. Okay. That was her desire when she first told Adam to take a bite. Mm-hmm. No, that is not so. Because at that point, no, because she was being tempted. And it says, only way we can determine that is to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because the woman was deceived. She was deceived by Satan. She was then starting to sin. She was already, in her mind, was starting to covet that fruit. Then she enticed or invited her husband to partake with it. That's When she partook of it, it was transgression. She's already in this place. So then, this is what happens at the fall. The role of the woman and the role of the man are reversed. We have to understand that. If we don't comprehend this one truth here, we're not going to understand the whole dynamic of the sexual battle that goes on throughout the whole world. It's not just in marriage or in family. We're talking about the whole tension between man and woman. That's what the impetus is for the woman's liberation movement, the woman's freedom movement, and the man's desire to conquer and to take control of his wife. Because look at the second part of this. And he shall rule over you. Now, there isn't... uh, an attitude of wanting to just help take control of the situation. This is man wanting to dominate his wife or woman. So we have now this tension that was created at the fall, and we have to understand the order in which God has given us. Some of you men are looking at me and going, hmm, that doesn't sound right. But that only happens outside of Christ. In Christ, God brings this divine order into the proper place. And we're going to examine that closely as we go. So as a result of the fall, the roles of the husband and wife, which this is the first husband and wife, are altered because of sin. Prior to the fall, man and woman were in perfect harmony. They were in harmony with each other and they were in harmony with God. So there wasn't any conflict between them. One was not trying to rule the other or control the other. There was perfect harmony because there was no sin. After the fall, that role changes. And let me just add this little bit of understanding to this. As Christians, the roles can then come back into harmony. But only when Christians are both in submission to the Lord. We're going to look at that. Dave. Well, practically, the crossing line is in between 
good scenario. <laughs> well, we have to factor in one thing. We have to factor in when we looked at Romans 8, where we left off. And we have to understand before the foundation of the world, God had the redemptive plan all prepared. It was already done. So we can try to think, and I've thought, I'm sure everyone has, what if, couldn't he have done this? Or, you know, there's all kinds of things. If we were in the garden and we were in the perfect condition as Adam, we would have done the same thing. You would have, I would have. And we can try to make it a scenario, but there's no scenarios that we can look at because there's no extra biblical things we can consider. So we have to understand this is how it came down. Rob. Yeah. Right. So who's more to blame as far as when you look at it as I mean there's no you know you can't you can't get into the levels of sin, but I'm just saying, you know, as a, an argument against that, really right. when you think about it. But it was the woman Adam should have been more that woman you gave me though. Right. And ultimately, that's what we see in Romans 5. One man's sin, and because of one man's sin, all men have sinned. So the, uh, the Adamic sin is passed down to all mankind. It doesn't say the sin of Eve. It says, because of sin, the first man, Adam, all men have sinned in Adam. So because of Adam... We have this result. Now stop and think about this. The result of sin. We, we use sin in our conversations every day like it was, you know, oh yeah, sin. Think of what it did. This was the cost and price of sin. First of all, it corrupted all of creation. Everything in creation was corrupt at that point. It was perfect. God said it is good. That means it was perfect. His creation. Man separated himself from God. Man and woman. And because of that, all the consequences that sin has brought into this world, ultimately to cause the Lord God himself to have to come to earth as man, fully man, fully God, and suffer a horrible suffering and death on a cross. So we can't take lightly what this was at the fall. And this reversal in the order that God gives us is part of that result. It's no small thing. So we have to understand what has happened here. Peggy. Yes. Exactly. As Peggy just pointed out, God's omniscient. He's, he already knew before the foundation what man was going to do. He was going to create man perfect in his image and likeness and without sin. 
And yet he already preordained before the foundation, before creation, the plan of redemption. So we have everything already in place. But we have to understand how serious this was at the fall. Barb. Yes. Yeah, as Barb pointed out, here Adam, as well as Eve, had to witness their offspring and the horrible repercussions, their first children born, Cain and Abel. One murdered the other out of jealousy. So we have them empirically being able to see the dramatic and horrible effects of sin. So they understood. We have no idea what they went through. But we know that they were able to empirically see the result. Marilyn. Yes. That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. I think I have more questions than answers this morning. <laughs> yes, Carol. I don't think there's sorrow in having a child. I mean, I think childbirth is not an epiphanous that we have to do mm-hmm. itself. But I think there's so much sorrow in birth where loss of babies or lack of being able to conceive. That yeah, the idea of sorrow here is pain. Yeah, and the pain is temporary. And when the child comes forth, as any mother here will share, that that's no longer remembered. You don't go back and think of your labor pains. You think of the wonderful birth of that child. So, in that, there's also grace. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 All right. I can't uh, speak empirically with that one. But I appreciate that. Okay. Moving right along. <clears throat> oh, this is a good uh, class this morning. I love this. I do. I really welcome this. I just, this would, gets me in the word. Yes. Doug. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing the victor the victorious life that we have as modeled by Christ and the ability 
to overcome sin and to overcome temptation in Christ. Because we see in Christ, he was fully God, fully man, and yet he was filled with the Spirit. So he was controlled by the Spirit fully, and he used his word, divine word, to battle with Satan. Okay, let's go on. So after the fall, we're now living under the curse. So we're speaking now in context of men and women in marriage. Uh, so how can we understand this uh, primary or basic human relationship, marriage and family, and the workplace? Best understood in Ephesians 5. So turn there, would you please, uh, to chapter 5, and we're going to begin with... Uh, I'm not going to start doing an exposition of this, but I want to hold that text so that I can make some references to it. Beginning with verse 21, and we're going to go through six, chapter 6, verse 9. Now, I know that the youth has gone through Ephesians. Is that correct? How far did you complete Ephesians? Oh, chapter 6. Okay. So you've already gone through the text, which we will be referring to at different places. Okay, so I have a question here. Should the wife submit to her husband, or is that just a throwback to primitive patriarch? Uh, is the husband the boss who is home of the castle, and he just calls the shots? These are just ridiculous questions, I guess, but I'm asking them. So what does family mean in our society? Uh, in a society where divorce is rampant, remarriage is rampant, cohabitation, homosexuality, and promiscuity are rampant. What does a family look like? Well, the only place that we can get understanding of the family nucleus is from the Word of God. What it is and how it should function is given to us in God's Word. Now, we have to also understand the sufficiency of God's Word. It's sufficient for everything. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, material things. Uh, if I need my car repaired, I can get on the phone and call Doug or one of the other mechanics here. And what we have is the Word of God for life. When we examine God's Word, I don't need to go to a bookstore and look for a self-help book on family because everything we need is comprehensively given to us. Now, not every detail, but we have the principles that God gives us for husband, wife, children, employer, employees, all those relationships in which we all have some form or another, whether married, single, a parent, child, whether we're widowed, whether we're divorced, we all have some relationship. So we have to learn what is the distinction and the function of man and woman. Let me ask this question. Uh, some in the evangelical realm would say, and they'd go to a specific text, which I'll give you later, um, 
And there's actually a very strong feminist movement within part of the evangelical and as well as the liberal churches today for women being in authority. Now, is there any difference between men and women in the church? Let's start there. Any distinctions? Okay. What would that be? Is somebody aware of that? Okay. So we see in the church structure that women are not to exercise or usurp authority over men. I would say that was probably in 1 Timothy 2, maybe somewhere Paul was giving that instruction. So how do we, how do we balance that with Galatians 3 where it says there is neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that looks like some kind of equality to me. What say you? No, but that's talking about their essence. Now, here's where we have to make a distinction. Between man and woman, even in the Godhead, we have to make a distinction between God's essence and God's function. We have a triune Godhead, which we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, total equality. Total divinity. But in function, there's different roles. Christ, while here on earth, said, I do nothing but the will of my Father. The Holy Spirit said, I glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a function an authoritative role within the Godhead. And yet, in essence, that is their very being, there's total equality. In the same way, with man and woman, there's total, complete equality in our essence, in Christ. In Christ, as Dave pointed out, we're all on the same plane. Absolute, seen as equal, total. In function, there's a distinction. How do we know that? I have to verify that with Scripture. And it goes over to 1 Corinthians 11. And you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, go ahead. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 3. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthian believers. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Look at the authoritative roles there. Now, we heard the term once in a while, headship. So what's that mean? In the original language, language that just means simply authority over. That's all it means. So when Paul is giving the divine order, He's talking about God, Christ, being head over man. We're in submission to God the uh, Father and to Christ, the Holy Spirit. And man is in authority over woman. So look at the submissive authority role, that distinction that comes in the order 
of creation. We have God in authority over man. Man in authority over woman. Now, we have to understand the proper meaning of authority. It's like uh, oversight. It isn't a domination. If we went back to Genesis and looked at the term rule over, that's not authority. That's a distortion. That's a domination. That's not what the authority headship is represented in 1 Corinthians 11. So we have that order and God created that order for perfect harmony. But let me ask this. As a father, there's fathers here, our grandfather, great-grandfather. I'll be a great-grandfather for soon. Um, that's really a good thought. We have, as a grandfather, I'm in submission. Because as a grandfather, I'm also a child. child of Christ. So I am in submission to Christ. Marsha, being my spouse, is in submission to me. So in Christ, as we're all in the Spirit, that is, walking by the ability and fullness of the Holy Spirit, that's perfect harmony. Because that role that God has given man is a protective role. It is a role to help, to encourage, to provide, to protect, and to love. That's what that role, that authoritative role of responsibility is that is given to man. As a woman, she is my helpmate. She is my completion. She is, has the ability to fill where I lack, where I'm void. Now, let me explain something. Uh, in the male-female makeup, when we say that the authoritative role or headship, that does not say that the woman is less intelligent or weaker individual emotionally. Uh, it doesn't say that the woman is less of anything. There are women here that far superior intelligence than me by far. You find that every Sunday when they ask questions. Just, let me just finish this thought. So we have to understand that not only are we equal in Christ, and if we lose concept there, we lose it everywhere. Because as we uh, oversee or we exercise godly authority, we need to put that factor in there. That we're co-heirs, as First Peter says in First Peter 3, 7. We're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. So how we treat our wife and how we treat other women is extremely important. By the way, when it's talking about headship here or authority, that's not talking about that women, uh, that a husband, uh, someone else's husband can try to be exercise authority over another wife. That's not what it's talking about. This is in the nucleus of the family. Man has been given that authoritative role. So a woman is submissive to her husband only, not to another male. That's not what it's talking about. So we have to keep that in the perspective of the family nucleus. Okay, we got two questions. I'll start with Rob. Go ahead.
Okay, that, I want to address that point because it's extremely important what Rob said. God has given us an authoritative role as men. If we advocate that authoritative role to our wives, the whole function breaks down. The whole design that God has breaks down. So it doesn't matter what kind of personality we have. Our leadership role comes from God. It's not from some you know, man-made idea of chauvinistic, or this is how we'll set it up. This is a God-given order. So no matter what our personality or makeup is, we have that authoritative role. We're not to allow that to be usurped in any way. That doesn't mean we try to control by domination. It means we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, first in submission to God. Then he gives us that ability to be able to oversee and be that headship that God has designed perfectly. Before you, we have one back here. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we're going to get into that when we get into Ephesians 5.21. And it's a very good point. Uh, we're still called to submit one to another. I'm talking about in the order and nucleus of the family, uh, a wife is to be submitted to her own husband. And it's very specific. Uh, in fact, even in the context, I believe that uh, wives submit to your own husbands. So it's very clear there. Dorothy, good point. Right. Yeah. Whenever we disregard the God-given order of his design, then we don't have the, the function carried out the way God designed it. So it breaks down. It may seem like, well, somebody's got to fill the void. That's not the way God designed it. We don't just try to fill voids. We submit to God's perfect design through his word. Bart, good point.
Well, it doesn't, it doesn't delineate that specifically because it said, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her. So, yeah, he, right. So he was able to exercise that authority over her, which at that time was perfect, and he didn't. So he advocated that authority allowed her to be tempted, allowed her to sin deliberately in rebellion to God's only command, and he didn't do anything. It's a perfect example. Carol. Okay, this is a good point. I think we ought to address this as best we can. What's happening today, which is a result of the fall, is men not carrying out their role, their God-given role. And when we look at the unregenerate, we can say that they, they don't have a standard. So we can't factor them in. But just let's look at it in light of Christendom. If we take a man who abrogates or he uh, gives that authority to his wife, she'll take it. Because that's the natural desire is to have control over. So if the man does not take his God-given responsibility under the headship of Christ and lead, the woman's going to come right in and lead. That is what's happening today in many I mean, it's pandemic. So it's a result of disobedience on the man's part because um, <clears throat> we could say, well, you know, she is a better leader and maybe she has the ability administratively or any of those kind of giftedness to be able to do certain things well. And we should allow or uh, exercise that encouragement to our wives to do what God's gifted them to do, but not the authoritative role. So when they relinquish that authoritative role, the woman, uh, because of the fall, if she's not under the lordship of Christ, will take that role. That's part of the... the does that answer that? Or? Well, and I, cause I wanted to say, I'm a, a really good example for that from the management test. I'm pretty, a pretty strong woman. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so unless I have somebody, you know, saying no... Yeah. Right. You know, I could step into that right. really easily. Yeah. You know? And that is what I say. It goes back to the old nature. Yeah. Under Christ, you don't do that. In Christ, you don't do that because you're subservient to first the Lord and then the oversight of your husband. Out of that, 
When we get in the flesh, we revert to the fallenness. Man wanting to dominate, woman wanting to control. That's where we get that tension in battle. Peggy, wait. Well, that's a good question. But if we look at Old Testament history, what was Deborah? She was what? A judge. So we can't take that order and try to apply it society to political leadership, I don't think. Especially when we have an example of Deborah being a judge in the Old Testament. Yes. But didn't Deborah clearly say, this is your job, I'm Right. But she did she did carry out that judge uh, that role, even though she knew that that was not her rightful role to carry out. So God allowed her to do that for whatever reason. But that still should have been the headship there, even in that case. Consequence. Exactly. But nevertheless, we, um, the divine order is such where man is to be head over a woman. That's the leadership role that's given. And I'm using it in a nucleus of family, not so much societal. Rob, did you have that? They were. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me set that up a little bit. When I say reverse reversal of role, I use the guide of First Corinthians eleven three. That is the headship, the authoritative uh, function and role that God has given us. So. Uh, that's the one that's outlined in Scripture. Before the fall, both of them being sinless, they were in perfect harmony with each other. And so, whatever that, how that was carried out, whether that was a God-given authoritative role or not, it was in perfect harmony. Because sin did not taint it at all. So, when I say role reversal, I'm talking about the divine order given to us in 1 Corinthians 11. If we're not in submission to God and the woman not being in, under the lordship of Christ, then their tension begins. If I'm not in submission to God, I'm going to want to dominate my wife. If my wife is not in submission to God, she's going to control me. And you have that tension. So when I say role uh, reversal, that's what I mean. And I take that back to Genesis 3, not to 2, before the fall.
Right. Okay. Yes. And the reason why we need to keep, we need to bring that back into um, the commandments and how we need to act as a family unit today as a church. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a result of the fall, correct? Yes. It's a result of if, oh. if they hadn't fallen, we wouldn't be having to have this conversation. If we if, if there had not been a fall, we know that we perfect harmony, but there still may be that order. Because God is still over man. And man was created and the woman created for man. So there's still that headship even in the divine creation order. Because God, God created man in his likeness. And then he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he created the woman. Not the woman, uh, the man for the woman, but the woman for the man. So there's a divine order even in creation. So that's highlighted and given to us in the New Testament. But the breakdown of that order is sin. We're going to have to stop here because we're just about over. I'm just going to ask that the men would, um, some of you remain back so we can stack these chairs. Excellent questions. Uh, If there's any that I haven't answered properly, which there's a lot of them probably, don't, don't hesitate to talk to me afterwards. Uh, I just want to leave you with one thought here. Uh, we have students here. I want you students to be going through chapter 5 and 6 of Ephesians, if you would. Because I'm going to be asking some questions in regards to this, how this functional roles carry out in our family nucleus as well as our other relationships with each other, to a boss, to somebody you may be having charge over. And we have to realize this one closing thought, that we're all in submission somewhere. Beginning with God, and from there, there's we're reversing all the time. I'm in submission to God here, but I'm in authority over here. When I'm working for somebody, I'm in submission to them there. So we're constantly either in submission authority, or both, all the time. So as we examine these things, these are the divine order which will enable us to understand how God's grace works through this as we're submitted to Him. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we just thank You today for Your faithfulness in all things. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.